is Brendan Schuchart, and uh, welcome to the Novus Homo episode four. Today's uh, conversation is with Eli Rary. Um, Eli directed uh, a little movie that I'm kind of the main protagonist in. It's called Hard Decisions. It's a choose-your-own-adventure movie, and I play Brandon, the cleverly named, um, <laughs> usefully named, it turned out, um, play kind of a... Uh, a character who's going through a lot of problems in my relationship with my hunky go-go boy boyfriend played by the one and only James Cerny. This is like one of the funnest movies I've ever gotten to work on and then that was in large part because I got to work with all my friends. I have this huge sprawling very talented awesome tribe of friends and um other than throwing parties, it feels like I very rarely get to collaborate with them on anything substantial. And on this, I got to work with almost all of my favorite LA faggots and um, faggot adjacents. It was really fun. Hard Decisions came out today, so if you're listening to this, it will have been yesterday. Just, you know, go to YouTube and search for Hard Decisions. It's right there. It's really awesome. I hope you like it. Without further ado, here's you later. Hey, Today. <laughs> um, hi, Eli. Hi, Brendan. Uh, I'm gonna do like a whole intro in the thing where I like talk about who you are, so we can like just like dispense with that and get Great. right into how you came to be you. Tell me, Eli. Where did what? you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Santa Rosa, California. Mm, I know. Uh, you do. Mm. We were in junior high at the same time there, though at different junior highs. Yes. Um, I did not like Santa Rosa very much. Nor did I, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, it's a, kind of a show. Sorry, I, Santa Rosa. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I also was super unhappy, so I probably am biased. Uh, I was actually thinking recently about how unhappy I was specifically in junior high. Yeah? I actually dropped out of the ninth grade because I had no friends. Wow. Or I had no friends at school. I had oh. friends, but they weren't at school. Um, I ha- I, 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 my parents had told me that if I didn't want to go to school anymore, I, or that if I didn't want to go to that school anymore because I knew how bored I was, uh-huh. that I should tell them and that they would try to find somewhere else for me to go to school because they knew that I was sort of miserable. And finally at school it got so bad that I called in sick, or not called in sick, that's what you do when you're a grown up. As a kid you lie to your parents and say that you're sick. And, and looked up private schools in the phone book while my parents were at work. And then the next morning they were like, are you feeling better? And I was like, yes. And then at breakfast I was like, you know, remember how you said that I wouldn't have to keep going to school if I hated it there? Well, I think maybe I don't want to go to that school. And yesterday I wasn't really sick and I was calling other schools to see where else I could go. And they were like, okay, well, we'll look into that. And they, I think they couldn't afford a private school, though that's not what they said. And I ended up doing correspondence courses. They tried to, te- they tried to do homeschooling and teach me themselves, but they uh, found out that you can't do that in the ninth grade because you're officially in high school, so you have to have an accredited, accredited teacher. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I was homeschooled for ninth grade, but homeschooled by myself. I basically sat in the family room and like did my school work alone. 
I think middle school in general is just kind of a just a, like it's a night it's the nightmarish time to like stick a bunch of kids together and like force them to try and learn things like it becomes Lord of the Flies pretty fucking quickly I remember feeling so grown up at 13 oh yeah me too and when I look at 13 year olds now I'm like oh my god yeah like I was a child and that's the real problem is that you are too grown up to be a child anymore oh. but you're too much a child to be a grown up yet like 15 I was fine by the time I got to 15 I was okay yeah and like 10 I remember being basically fine I mean, there were troubles, but, like, I was okay. Yeah. But that range in between 10 and 15, that's a danger zone. Yeah. I mean, I remember feeling like an adult in my early 20s. And, like, <laughs> that's look, a different I, kind I of look at, I look at, I look, I'm like, and I, like, I remember thinking, too, like, because like, I used to, like, run around with some guys that were, like, two, three, four, five years older than me. Why do they treat me like such a kid? And like, now that I know, now that I'm 34 and I know kids in their early 20s, I'm like, oh, you sweet, adorable little kittens, all of you. I remember when I was I was in my junior year of college and I was doing my year abroad in Dublin, and I fell in love with this Irish dude, and I guess I was 20. And he was a year older than me, so he was 21. Okay. And the thing that's hilarious to me is to think back to what a grown-up he seemed like. Because he seemed so old and wise. He was 21. I still think of him, when I think of him, he seems like an old, wise grown-up. And I'm like, dude, he was 21. Like, I'm much older than him now. He's not old and wise compared to me now. Right. When did you, uh, when did you figure out you liked boys? It was a slow process for me. It was not... I was not like, oh, I think I like boys. Yeah. It was like, I think I might like boys as well as girls. I think maybe I don't like girls so much. And then I got a girlfriend. And when I, when I hooked up with my girlfriend, she was my only girlfriend. She was, not my, she was my first and only girlfriend. But when I hooked up with her, I told her that... You know, that I thought that I probably was attracted to guys and that I probably was attracted to guys more than I was attracted to girls. And she was like, that's okay. She was cool with that. And I think she helped me come out in a lot of ways. Though, that did involve horrible betrayal at some point. <laughs> it always does. <laughs> Not always. I think some people have a really nice story around that, but I, my, my story's not so nice. Um, but yeah, at some point while I was with her, I figured out, and we sort of decided together that I was gay except for her. Mm. And then after we broke up, I was no longer gay except for her. I was just gay. You know, I used to have a roommate in college, uh, who I won't, I won't name now for the sake of, I have no fucking idea what's going on in his life. But um, we used to hook up, and uh, and our friends found out about it. And he was totally nonchalant about it. Like, yeah, I hook up with Bren. Bren's a lot of fun, blah, 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 blah. And in private, he once told me, I don't like dudes, I just like you. And, um, he must like dudes a little bit. But <laughs> I, think, I think there's a lot of, you know, like, you know, uh, attraction is very individual. And it is, you know, it's like I, I think of myself as a gay man, but I'm not attracted to every dude everywhere. 
you know, uh, I'm attracted to certain dudes that have certain characteristics. And I have been, like, I've had sex with girls. I've been attracted to girls. Having sex with dudes is way more fun. <laughs> but, um, like, I've had a good time having sex with girls. So, you know, I think it's all a... I think it's... Uh, I don't think it's like a spectrum. I think it's very, very individual. And we don't give it enough credit for that. I'm really protective of people's ability to define for themselves what their sexuality is because of the way that I came out because I came out in college with a girlfriend and I didn't feel like I came out into the gay community but the gay community basically was like no you have to say that you're gay right. and say that, and reject your girlfriend and reject your relationship with her otherwise we can't accept you right and so I came out into the bisexual community not the gay community and felt like basically alienated from the gay community for that reason Bi's really do get a hard time in gay culture. There's something about I think I actually think that most people are like some degree of bisexual, and something about modern culture like makes you choose. And the straight kids will like say, "Oh, well, you're gay," and the gay kids will say, "Well, you're gay, so you have to give up." Like, you know, you get shunt like bisexuals get shunted into the gay community, and then the the gay community <laughs> like has some stuff. very high demands on how they uh, comport yeah. themselves. I I also think that. A lot of bisexual people that I talk to don't actually identify as bisexual except that they are forced to because that's the only name that they get. Right. That they actually are like, I don't, like, I'm not bisexual, I just am a sexual person and I'm attracted to different kinds of people and gender's not that important to me. Right. I'm really glad that now people are starting to try to come up with more words. Even if they're making them up and some of them sound ridiculous sure. to me, I'm no. gra- glad. Like, the more words that we get to describe what people actually experience, because right. sexuality is really individual. It's really it, personal. The first guy that I ever had sex with in terms of, like, anal penetration mm. uh, was a guy who... He was only with women in terms of relationships and usually was not with guys sexually... But when he was with guys sexually, he wanted to bottom, mm. and he there were certain guys that he would be get super into, and like, and he was like, I just want to get fucked, mm. and uh, and he was great. He was such a like wonderful person in terms of like he was really open sexually. He was really like like great about teaching me how to go about doing that. Like, oh, listen, we're, you're gonna need to get lube and like you need condoms and. I, the first time that we hooked up, it was like just sort of like a weird drunken hookup, and I was like, "Oh, it's just because he was drunk, and like now he's not going to talk to me or whatever." And the next day, like totally sober, he's like, "We should do that again. We should have sex." And I was like, "I've never had sex before." And he's like, "Oh, we should do that. You come up, like I'll come over to your your dorm room tomorrow." <laughs> so I've I've always been like been very grateful to him and very like like skeptical of people who would be like oh well he's really gay he's not really gay yeah, yeah, yeah. I would actually I think that he probably identifies as straight and appropriately so he's pretty much straight the fact that like he occasionally likes to get boned by dudes doesn't make him less heterosexual it just gives him a little color <laughs> totally <laughs> like uh there is you know I think uh there is kind of a growing acceptance for the idea that gay and straight are like cultural signifiers. Like it's a cultural set of traditions and a way of looking at the world, like a point of view. And uh, um, uh, like I know, 
I know heterosexual kids in San Francisco, actually some of them live here now, that all of their friends are gay, you know, and they don't, you know, like if they don't think of themselves as straight, they think of themselves as queer, if anything, but they're heterosexuals and they, they are like some of the gayest kids I know, but they are like, they are into opposite bodied people, you know, I think that's, that's, we're going to see a lot more of that now. I'm really moved by that. Um, not what you just said, but in general, I, I've met and know people who are straight in terms of their sexuality, but belong to the gay community. Mm, yeah. And and it's it's sort of like they... Usually it's because someone's very close to them, either a very dear friend or a family member, or like a friend who's so close that they are family, mm-hmm. is gay. And that they basically were like, I don't want... Like, I want to be included in whatever party you're going to. And so then they, they join the community. And I, to me, that's like, that proves that the gay community is worth something in a way. Because it means right. that it extends beyond just, like, what a, a person's sexual practice is. Right. That it becomes an actual community that's based on values of inclusivity and, like, all these other yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. It is a set of values. And um, I think... Uh, we don't do a good enough job of advertising that. <laughs> Seriously. Like, I remember, you know, when I was a little baby gay growing up in San Diego, um, I was really into saying that, like, yeah, I'm a homo, but I'm not gay. I'm not one of those <laughs> gays, you know? Like, like I wanted, basically, like, I thought, well, like, There was nothing wrong with liking another dude. There was all kinds of things wrong with like wearing women's clothing or like like uh, going to a drag show. You know, like it all just seemed like really sad and like a second prize, you know, like a consolation prize for kids who couldn't get into the main party. <laughs> and now my view on that has flipped 100%. Like now I feel like the lucky one and I'm like, oh, those poor sad suckers who got roped into paying like with their life to get into the shitty party. Sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I was very sort of bitter about the gay community for a long time and did not feel like I was part of it, did not like feel like I fit in. I didn't have a lot of gay male friends. I didn't have like any gay male friends or mm-hmm. near zero on that tally. And, and I was married for some years to a man and because of my relationship with him, I mean, we were together for nine years. We were married for five. And because of my relationship with him, I, he was very much had a circle of gay friends. And so I sort of like inherited his gay friends and got sort of a feeling for why that might be nice. And it, but it wasn't until after we split up and I was single again that I actually found a gay community in LA and like found a group of gay friends that I could relate to and, and that that we're willing to stand up for the same things that I'm willing to stand up for in terms of like being inclusive of different sexualities and different genders and different people. Mm -hmm. Um, And being willing to say that being gay is not about a lifestyle, but that it's actually about standing up for something that, that like standing up for, for not just being gay but being outside the mainstream in general and that anyone who's outside the mainstream is someone we're willing to stand up for mm-hmm. I'm not down with like 
just trying to get on the inside so that we can like push down whoever's below us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does have its perks, you know. Climbing I the totem like having ball, servants climb... as much as the next person. <laughs> there is. I watched. Uh, I watched this guy on YouTube called. He calls himself the Nerd Writer. I don't know his real name, but he, he lives in San Francisco, and he's really smart. And he's a really talented video editor. And he's got a video on like the dirty secret of sexism, which is that hierarchy is fun. And it's. Uh, um, uh, the, the pleasure is gained from being in a higher position than somebody else on a totem pole and we don't even see it like it's so background you know but like you have to kind of like look at that reality that it causes some amount of pleasure before you can address the fact that it's really really shitty um, it's really smart I, I, I actually believe that hierarchy and like a hierarchy of status among people is biological. I don't think it's biological that white men are at the top of that hierarchy, no, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. or that men are that any of thing. I don't think any of that is is you know set in stone or set in genetics. But I feel like we are monkeys. Like we are like gangs of chimpanzees yeah. that build houses, right? And that we're status oriented, just like dogs, just like you know a lot of other mammals that travel in packs. Well, uh, sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> I, like I, I, I don't have. I don't. You know, I don't see any problem with hierarchy. It's unearned hierarchy. That is, uh, that is a problem. Like you're, you're, you know, if you are the greatest of the hunters in your tribe, then fuck yeah, you should be chief. Like, um, like if you just happen to be born a white dude, like yeah, it doesn't automatically qualify you to be president, Mr. Bush. I'm sorry. Or does it? <laughs> bum bum bum. I think that the I, I was talking about this with a group of radical fairies about how every group has its status and has its ways of promoting status and like what gets you status in that group and that like i think that it's a little bit naive to think that we can say like oh well we're just going to determine it this way like we're going to set the status based on merit or we're going to set the status based on who's smart or who's nice or whatever it is mm. because i think that that stuff gets set whether you like it or not and that right. you can affect it with like making conscious choices but that Right. That a community's values get expressed by how they totally by how that who they give status to. Hold on, before we go too much further, let's explain to like the three listeners who <laughs> might come across this who don't know what a radical fairy is. Let's explain what a radical fairy is. I don't know what a radical fairy is. I just I just know some of them. Okay. <laughs> I mean, radical fairies are an, a group of people. I was going to say organization, but they're not, they're an, not organization. an organization. Um, okay, uh, the radical fairy movement. Uh, it's a community. Is a community of, um, of of queer individuals. I would say, like mostly homo and bisexuals, with a a, a it's healthy smattering of, of trans individuals. Yes, mostly. It's gay mostly dudes. gay dudes. Um, but many of them would not identify as gay dudes. Yeah, but mostly they would. There's mostly just gay dudes who would be like, I'm a gay dude. It's a gay dude. I mean, okay. And, there's, and then, but very inclusive community, lots of other people who are not gay dudes. Like, straight people who go to the Radical Fair Gathering. I love, love those dudes. Yeah. yeah. Straight dudes who go to the Radical Fair Gathering. I heard an amazing story. So the Radical Fair Gathering is a whole other thing, which I'm not even going to get into. But, so he's there, and he's, it's outside, and he's like in the grass, like at the bottom of a hill or whatever taking a pee mm -hmm. and the guy walks up to him and it's like do you mind and he assumes that he means 
do you mind if I pee next to you? Right. And he says, of course. Guy gets on his knees, opens yes. his mouth. <laughs> and he was already peeing, so he's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I'll just continue peeing then, I guess. It was an experience he had not had before. Hey, I, uh, I remember the first time I experienced that particular thing. I was at Folsom. <laughs> it was my very first Folsom. Um, and again, for those of you that don't know, Folsom's a, a celebration of leather and kink that happens in San Francisco. You have to year. explain what Folsom is? I got to figure you got to explain what everything is. Like, I can't assume that, <laughs> so like, my gay audience. People. Right, gay so people are sexual. men. Okay, calm down. <laughs> um, so uh, I was at uh, the Powerhouse, um, which would become my favorite bar in San Francisco. Um, in fact, I would throw a party there in the future. But uh, at the time, it was just this skeezy leather bar that I had stumbled into and gotten into the back room of, which is like a big smoke, like closed-in smoking patio. But to be in the powerhouse on Folsom is to be one of a pack of sardines crammed into this like possibly not up to code leather bar. And um, I was all the way in the very back and I was drunk and all of a sudden, like, I had to go desperately, and I did not know how I was going to fight my way through this crowd of people. And then one of my companions said, well, you just need to find a piss slave. And I said, excuse me, a what? And he said, yeah, hey, is there a piss slave present? And this dude literally rose his, raised his hand in the air. Because he said, knew that what he was going to get if he raised his hand. He was yeah. like, I got it, me, 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 He said, I'm a piss slave. And um, I guess you can imagine how the rest of the story goes. But yeah, that was the first time I ever uh, urinated in somebody's mouth. No, I didn't have to imagine you. you Don't just... listen to this, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thought when I was earlier in the same conversation. I'm like, oh, who's going to actually listen to this? Oh, well. 103 people. I guess that's, people, I guess I, that's up to them. to judge by anything. That's a lot of people. Hi, everyone. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Um, Eli, you have a movie coming out. I do. The movie is called Hard Decisions. Yeah. It's an interactive movie. If I time this right, um, this and Hard Decisions will be coming out at the same time. Hard Decisions is coming out November 23rd. Oh, it's been pushed back. Yes, it has. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> you, have no time. you have more time than you thought. Excellent. Well, this will definitely be coming out the day uh, the Hard Decisions airs. That is, uh, that is an easy... That actually works out really great. Um, yeah, so Hard Decisions is coming out November 23rd. Okay. Uh, it's an interactive movie where you get to choose what the main character does. There, you watch it on YouTube. There's like, you know, watch like a four-minute segment, and then at the end of the segment, there's a decision. And you press a button, and you get to choose what Brandon does. And you know Brandon very well. Do I? Do I know Brandon very well? Yes, you do, because you play Brandon. I play Brandon. In the movie. Oh, shit. I'm, like, in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's You're awesome. very good at it. That's convenient. Oh, thanks, buddy. I've, I've asked many people. Uh, the, one of the main things I ask people when I show it to sort of, like, get feedback or whatever from strangers or people who weren't there while we were making it is, like, who do you like? Like, who's your favorite character? And... Pretty much everybody says that Brandon is their favorite character, which is good because he is the main character. So that is my goal. <laughs> well, that um, I like that too. I mean, he was he was well written. Thank you, thank you. Um, it's hard finishing a movie. Why? Well, I guess if you had like a team of post production people doing it with you, it would be easier. But I am basically doing it alone in my apartment. Right. So like finishing the movie is like me at the end of my day job 
like eat dinner and then at 8 p.m. start work on my not day job of of doing the color correction and like final mix for our decisions and do that till like two in the morning and then go to bed and then wake up late and be really cranky and groggy during my day job the next day. Um, That's what Stephen King used to do. That's a nice way of thinking of it. He's really successful. Yeah, no, it really like it like read his book on writing. It's actually really helpful. Is it called On Writing? <laughs> I think it's called Stephen Stephen King on Writing. Yeah, I read everything that Stephen King wrote up until the year nineteen ninety five. I I did too. Uh, I read everything Stephen King wrote, everything Clive Barker wrote. Everything up until um, Insomnia, I think, was the last book by Stephen King I read. And then I was just like, I, just don't, I don't care anymore. <laughs> I don't want to be scared anymore. I read Wizards and Glass, and I thought that it was homophobic. And I stopped reading him because really? of that. I was, it was totally like being betrayed by one of my idols. Oh, no, see, I think there are... It is riddled with homophobia, but I don't think he is homophobic. Or I don't think he's intentional. But I, but when I was reading Clive Barker at the same time, and Clive Barker is really not homophobic, it, mm. it, it makes it, like, it was just, it bummed me out. It just bummed me out. It was like, I didn't have the fantasy anymore. Because it wasn't specifically homophobic. It was more, like, transphobic or genderphobic in some way. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing was when you're 14. <laughs> it was the, I think it was the succubus. There's a scene where, in Wizards and Glass, where an older sort of butch angry woman becomes a witch and becomes evil Mm. and in order to convert a sort of suburban housewife comes over to her house and cuts a slit below her belly button which the suburban housewife must feed from it's like the most obvious like metaphor for like butch lesbians converting suburban housewives to their evil plot to kill white people. I don't <laughs> that was remember that like, at all. It's totally real. And I was like, it was this moment, I, I think I was in the like freshman in college or something when I read it, and I was like, oh no. Like if only I could go back to being innocent and not being able to like see these kinds of symbols in what I'm write, reading, Sorry. I would enjoy this book more. I mean, the book's also not as good as the early Gunslinger books. Like, Gunslinger oh, yeah. is one of my favorite of all time. Actually, I think Wizarding Glass is where I broke down, because I couldn't get into it. It's not that good. It's not that good, and it's, like, homophobic, anti-lesbian. And if there's one thing that I love, it's lesbians. Because the truth is, gay men did not accept me when I was coming out, but lesbians brought me home yeah. and took care of me for many, many years until I was able to find gay men that liked me. I like you, Elaine. <laughs> yeah, but I only I only met you recently. This is true. This is true. Um, we met uh, at Fubar. We met at BFD and Mario Diaz's party at Fubar. Yes. Yeah. No, that was that literally was like a life changing night because I met you that night, but I met like everybody that night. Like that was when it was like, oh, I think I might have just found a group of friends who I'm going to be hanging out with a little bit more. And I hung out with them a lot more, and I invited them to come over to my house and make a movie, and that's what happened. And that is what happened. <laughs> and here we are. There's, there's no, one, no one in that movie that I met because of the movie. They're all people that I already knew. It's all friends. It's all, there was no auditioning. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wrote the part of Brandon for you. I didn't write Brandon and then be like, who should play this part of Brandon? I know a guy named Brendan. Maybe he'll do it. <laughs> It's, I think it was well played because uh, 
there are many places during the filming of that movie where one of our friends slips and calls me Brendan. Uh, he basically only calls you Brendan. James. <laughs> he only, like, I'm just like, I hope people just think he has a speech impediment. <laughs> he doesn't call you by your character name really ever. Oh, God, I love that man. He's so good. <laughs> He's so good in the movie. Mm. He's so good. Um, he was great. It was great watching him. Like, he was, you know, I had seen him, I have to admit, like, I had seen him on stage do some drag stuff, and he was uh, so broad, so broad. And I mean, like, it's drag, so you need it to be broad, but, like, broad and kind of stilted, and then, like, looking back on it, I realized, oh, he was very deliberately being broad and stilted, because James Cerny is a talented fucking actor. He's an he's amazing performer. really good. Yeah. He's really, really good. It's, it's fortunate that you two play the two main characters, because you are both so excellent, and it makes the movie a lot of fun to watch. Um, there's a lot of really great actors in the movie. Um, that was one of the things I was the most happy about, was the, the cast of folks that I got to do it. But one thing I remember now about writing Hard Decisions is Hard Decisions is about... Brandon, it's not about Brandon being HIV positive, but Brandon is HIV positive as a character. Well, I wanted to, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like that was one of the things that made me really excited about it because I, I am HIV positive, as you know, Eli. Um, but I've, um, I've always wanted to play and just to see out in the world characters that are just incidentally HIV positive, who's like um, HIV doesn't define them and doesn't define their storyline. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Like, you know, like, I think we're finally to a place where, like, being gay doesn't define your storyline. You know, like, it's no longer, like, the tragic coming out story and abandoned by your family. And, like, you know, like, there are gay characters on TV that are just kind of gay. And, like, uh, um, and yay. Awesome. Like, you know, like... Uh, like, why can't, why can't, you know, Alicia's gay brother on The Good Wife be, like, taking his HIV meds one morning when he's, like, sleeping on her couch and just have it not be a thing. Right. Like, he's just HIV positive. Like, he's some gay dude. He lived in Oregon. Who knows why he's HIV positive? Yeah, right. it's, Who just, knows? It's, you know. it's just there. It's not, it's just it's not, it's not as tragic. Yeah. Like, she's not gonna talk about it. Like, you, like, she wouldn't be like, oh, are you still HIV positive, brother? How's that HIV? How's your HIV doing? How's your HIV? That was, the, that was literally the sort of purpose behind writing Hard Decisions was that I felt like and this also comes from the fact that I did not have any friends who were HIV positive because I did not have very many gay male friends. And mm. that tends to be where you find HIV positive people in America. And then I suddenly had a bunch of HIV positive right, friends. Yeah. And I was like... <laughs> you run with a slug crew now. <laughs> <laughs> I do run with a good crew. <laughs> and uh, and, and I, I was just like, you know, there's no one like this in the movies. Like, no one sees just regular folk. Yeah. HIV positive people always are having a big drama about it. Right, yeah. And so I was like, I want to fix that. Well, so know, I did. I can, I, can, I can almost guarantee you that of that number of gay friends you did have before you met us, some of them were positive and they just weren't out about it because the vast majority of people aren't out to their friends about their HIV status. I know that I knew people who were HIV positive that I was friends with them would be not accurate in that I didn't have so many friends. Fair this enough. is the thing we can right, come right, back right. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a theme. 
Now to the important questions. Um, how much fun am I to direct? Oh my god. Uh, next question. <laughs> next question. Alright. Uh, kittens. <laughs> Soft. Kittens are or really fun. All right. Kittens are fun so fun. I, I don't know if they would be fun to direct. They're just fun to hang out with. Fun to cuddle. Fun to cuddle. You know, you may have a lot in common with kittens in that way. <laughs> okay, like, no, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Like, what's what what app? So, um, there's been a delay in. Are we still seeing it at the the premiere party? Oh right. yeah, good. Good. The I, thing that's hard about hard decisions uh-huh. is that. It's a choose-your-own-adventure thing. It's this interactive movie. Right. So, I know how to make movies. I went to school to learn how to make movies. Making interactive movies, I'm not the first person to do this. There's lots of interactive movies online. I don't like them. That's why I had to make one. Make one that I liked. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I don't quite know how to do that. You're like Everyone who does it does it a little bit differently. So, I'm doing it on YouTube, but if you watch an interactive movie on YouTube on your phone, the buttons oh, don't work. Right. So, you have to like open the description and click the link at the bottom, which sucks. And so, I want to make an app for a phone that will, that you can press the buttons. And that part is not easy. That's the part that's taking a while. Oh, wow. You're making an app? I'm making an app. Wow. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'm trying really hard to make it up. I'm either making an app or, or having to re edit the voiceover at the end of every single thing to take out the part where it says and get the hard decision set <laughs> we'll see alright so. um, uh, how did I mean I kind of know the answer to this question because my fiance has an app but how do you go about making an app well I work for a software company as my day job so I have sort of that kind of technological background but essentially you get a developer or a team of developers and you hire them and say make me an app but you have to you have to tell them what you want it to do in this case there's a um we may end up literally making a website and then packaging that into an app with something called phone gap um that may be the easiest way to make an interactive movie app i feel like there should be like stuff to make interactive movies everywhere like there should be an app on my phone to make an interactive movie app on my phone like Interactive movies, like, why can't I click on everything? I was watching Mad Men the other day, uh-huh. as one does when one's super behind on TV life. Yeah. So I, I was watching an episode of Mad Men, and Don Draper comes out of the shower wearing a towel around his waist. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I want that towel. I would just moved into this apartment, right. and I was like, I need towels, and that one is great. And then I was like, where can I find that towel? And I had this moment of being like, I'm watching this on Amazon. Like, that's where I'm watching Mad Men. Right. I also buy my towels on Amazon. Why can't I click on the towel and buy it? Right. Amazon wants me to be able to click on the sure. towel and buy it. I'm sure that who have, that the you know AMC who's making Mad Men, AMC makes Mad Men, right? Yeah. AMC <laughs> is making Mad Men. They don't they, anymore, but they I'm did. sure that they would get some value out of me being able to buy that towel. Right, I mean, and the... Everyone wants this to happen. Why are, why are we living in the past? Why are we living in the future? That's a really good question. Because it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of the camp that, like, really doesn't care if faceless corporations have all this, like, metadata about me as long as it is, like, translating into goods and services being offered to me that I am really excited about. So far, that has not happened yet. You know what really happens in real life? 
is that I now have ads on Facebook for everything that I've ever looked at and considered buying and decided not to buy. And I'm like, dude, get over it. I'm not going to buy that now. I'm not buying that Tupperware. I looked at the Tupperware. I didn't want to buy it. Don't show me an ad for it on Facebook. I get ads uh, offering me Russian Christian girlfriends, which... What website were you surfing? I have no fucking clue, but I soups do not want a Russian Christian girlfriend. Like, that is... Uh, Don't knock it till you tried it, Brendan. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I'm, I'm. It's just the commitment. I can't. I can't. I, I, I will try just about anything. I can't commit. If you're looking for a mail order bride, so to speak, the only mail order bride or mail order husband service sure. for gay men uh-huh. is actually in the Ukraine, not Russia. Okay. And it's called something like Golden Boys, Golden Guys, something like this. You might wonder why I know about this. It's I'm not curious. because I was shopping. I'm curious. It's because I went to Kiev and Odessa, mm-hmm. and I went. Out, I was doing a big trip around Europe, and everywhere that I went, I would look up, you know, gay wherever I was. So I look up gay Kiev. If you do any search for gay Ukraine, it's always the first hit. You're very well traveled, aren't you, Eli? I do like to travel. As do I. As do I. Um, uh, let's talk about. Um, your travels. What is uh, the funnest place to be gay abroad? That's a good question. I don't know. I'm gay everywhere that I go. So isn't that just I the mean, funnest place to be have fun? I mean, it's... Uh, I figure there's got to be a, a places where it is less fun to be gay and places where it is more fun to be gay. Or at least oh, in your yeah. experience. No, that's probably true. Like, I really enjoyed Shanghai, but I wasn't particularly gay in Shanghai. Though I did happen to be in Shanghai during Gay Pride, but was too sleepy to go out. I may not be the right person to ask this question. You're kind of boring, Eli. (laughs) (laughs) Well-traveled, but dull. But dull. But dull. (laughs) I spend a lot of time in hotel lobbies reading Patricia Heisman. (laughs) (laughs) I love to be gay. And abroad. I, um... I really love... Much like Patricia Highsmith. But don't... <laughs> Sorry. I really love Istanbul. Yeah. Istanbul is one of my Ooh. favorite places. Turkish men. Yeah. But again, it's, it just depends who you're hanging out with. Like, I was in Istanbul for 24 hours. I spent 15 of those hours with a lovely young man um, who I will not name because he won't respond to my emails anymore. So that makes me think he would not welcome me announcing our... our liaison publicly but um and i don't know why we didn't have any sort of falling out he just mm-hmm. stopped responding um, to emails facebook anything okay so uh <laughs> uh this just turned into therapy corner but i just recently um ran across the phone number of somebody who um used to be a regular sexy friend of mine and um i sent him a text message and I said, hey, we haven't talked in years. Is this still your number? And he said, yeah, this is still my number. Who's this? Like, remind me. And so I said, it's Brendan. And he actually said, send a picture. So I like said, it's Brendan. And I sent a picture. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm like, so now I'm like texting my friends. I'm like, you remember so-and-so. Did he and I have a falling out that I don't remember? Because... Uh, why are guys like that? Like, 
I don't know. I can't say that I've never done shit like that. No, I like, never. No, I have never done anything my, like my, that. That is incredibly shitty. My, I've never just ghosted on somebody. My ex-husband has blocked me on Facebook, and I'm like, that's up to you. You're my ex-husband. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, within legal limits. Like, please sure. don't yeah, burn I mean, my apartment yeah. down. But, yeah. Right. But, but this was someone who, like, I spent 15 hours with him when I was in Istanbul for 24 hours. We hit it off, to say the least. And kept communicating, and then a year later, I went back to Istanbul and spent two weeks with him. I had a fantastic time. I was super sad to leave, and then stayed in touch a little bit after that, but not like not deeply. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then one day, he just stopped responding to any messages that I sent him. So I'm just gonna, you know, put him in my memoirs and use his real name. That's my revenge. Solid. I think it's a plan I can support. Solid. That, uh, I mean, that's... What else do you do? There was another, like, there was a, um... There was a guy in San Francisco who, um... Uh, I had always been very attracted to. Uh... We'd Just always one? Been, well, this is a particular one. Particular guy that I had always been very attracted to. Um... And we had always been very flirty. We went home together one night after, like, being one of three people in a bar. <laughs> like, we, like, bumped into each other ended up going home. And... Um, the third guy. Important. The third guy went home alone. <laughs> uh, uh, um, although he and I ended up hooking up later because it's San Francisco! Uh, but, so this dude and I go back to my place. We have a great time. We wake up in the morning and I have to go to work and he doesn't want me to go. And we spend all day pretty much fucking around, having a good time, and I'm like, and staring deep into each other's eyes. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. Uh, never heard from him again. Keep in mind, he asked me not to go into work that day. Like, that I understand. Right, but That's just intimacy issues. I have those. Uh, to never hear from him again? That is... I mean, I would, like, I'm not a terrible person like this guy, but I certainly understand his motivation. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, I find that that's one of the things that now that I'm single and, and grown up, that being a euphemism for being sexually active, <laughs> <laughs> now that I am single and grown up, I... I find it really hard to figure out how to deal with, like, casual sex and, like, grinder hookups and, like, all of that because I respect and appreciate my own and all of our need to just, like, have sex with a random. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, hook up with whoever, not because you want to see them tomorrow, but just because you want to sure. see them for yeah, a few yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... But then there's also the desire to, you know, make more of that, you know, have a relationship, you know, do the whole thing. And there's a certain sense where if you're meeting someone to hook up, you don't really want to get into the, like, whole, like, intimate thing. You just want to, you know, have a good time and then goodbye. Yeah. But then if you don't want to be intimate, if you don't want actual intimacy then how do you ever get the other thing? And like, it's sort of like, oh, well, if I really like you, we probably shouldn't have sex then. We'll just wait. And then, and it's like, 
it's literally like that sort of very old-fashioned thing of like there are two kinds you know Ooh, yeah no. and then I start being like is my really like that am I like some sort of weird old-fashioned like sort of sexist against not women but other men who I have sex with mm-hmm. who I am like like if like I'm, am I a slut shamer of my own sexual partners like this <laughs> I'm not but I feel like there's these these sort of um like there are ways of being in the world that we that we inherit without meaning to yeah and that that and sometimes I'm like well maybe that's just the way it is and that's real and I didn't make mm. that up and and I'm not inheriting that but that's actually just sort of like a, a a wise wisdom or maybe I'm like caught up in the habits of of my forebears see I might be almost the opposite way and I'm also willing to allow side note for the fact that I'm just emotionally damaged and so maybe I'm broken and this is just a really broken way to approach things but uh I uh uh, the more I like you, whoever you are, the more I want to have sex with you. And that doesn't translate to a romantic like either. Like the more I appreciate your company and your talent and you're just like the, the person that you are, the more I want to bang. The longer I go without banging somebody, the weirder it gets for me. Like this, like it becomes more awkward. And the people with whom, uh, uh I, you know, that wait and have sex, like, if you really like someone, that track almost never leads to boyfriendhood for me. Like, it is the other track, the, like, we, like, had a one-night stand, and then we decided we were both really awesome people, and then we started dating. Like, I'm much more likely to do that, um, that is what I did with my current fiancé, actually, um, than, uh, than the, um, than the getting to know each other really well, and, uh, and then, you know, then deciding that this is a nice person I want to have sex with and then having sex with that person and then like that, tr- translating that into a relationship, that almost never works for me. I haven't had a lot of relationships, so I don't have a large survey. Oh, well, but I've had pretty, a lot of relationships, but, but, so let me tell no, you. No, I mean, when I say I haven't had a lot, like the number's very, very low, but the ones that I have had... They all, we hooked up immediately. Like, there was no friendship. There was no, like, let's wait and hook up later because we want to get to know each other. Right. None of that. It was like, we're hooking up now, and we like each other, and we're going to keep hooking up and hanging out and become boyfriends, whatever. So, this whole dilemma is only coming up now when I'm experimenting with friendship before sex. Right. Maybe it's just a bad idea. Maybe that's... Maybe that's... No, because I think there's there's there's, like... I've also, like, you know, I'm also, I have a tendency, I have a reputation in our circle of friends as being a sister fucker. Quotes. Um, and I, uh, I wear it with pride. I like to have sex with my friends. And uh, on occasion, that has translated into a not always necessarily healthy romantic situation, but uh, romantic situations nonetheless. Um, uh, I, I mean, do you really have to Pre, to like prefix romantic situation with not necessarily healthy isn't that understood Ooh. <laughs> with me at least I don't scars mean you. out scars <laughs> out I don't mean you I mean in general like like this is this is my belief about human beings not about you know me personally or you personally 
but that we get involved in romantic situations in order to like make mistakes and like be terrible and like embarrass ourselves and like show the, our worst possible behavior to someone who totally loves us and is going to be driven completely insane and be can't like we'll, we'll be like I cannot believe you're doing this again and will still stay with us and like help us work it out. I that's would, what I think romantic relationships are the thing that's part of what they're for. Well, see, I would phrase it as um, uh, forming a partnership with someone with whom you can be your most authentic self. That's a nice way of putting it. Yes, and that is occasionally, actually, that is often a messy thing, but uh, it is, yeah, it's, I mean, it comes down to that's why, but that's why, like, Romance and friendship are so closely linked to me because I have to really like you to fuck you. This is why I was a terrible prostitute, is because uh, for my brief stint at trying to have sex for, for money, is because if I didn't really like you, I couldn't perform for you. And I mean, that's, that has always been true of me. I have to really like you. Interesting. I can like to hate you too. There's been a couple of those. Hate and love are so They're close. So They're related. so close. They're just right next to each other. I've always felt like, and this is true of friends, more so than romantic partners, but the, the people who I know who I ended up becoming friends with, who becoming close with, when I first met them, I either immediately was really interested and really found them intriguing for some reason, or immediately hated them. Yeah. Like, I, one of my best friends in college, her name was Rebecca. Mm-hmm. I loved her. I still love her to this day. She's a wonderful person. She, the day I met her, I remember the day I met her. I remember what she looked like. I remember where we were. It was in a friend's dorm room. She had blue hair. And I talked about her for, like, two days that this fucking bitch that I had talked to, this bitch with blue hair that I could not believe the way that she talked and the way that she behaved. I just was like, I was livid for days. I still have no idea why. Like, I don't know what it was that she, but she, oh man, I was mad. Some of my best friends from film school, like the day that I met them, when I, like the first day of film school, when you're sort of sizing everybody up, I was like, oh, don't like that one. Mm -mm. He's no good. I think hate is a Hate is an attractive force. Hate is not the opposite of love. Hate and love are... Hate is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is indifference. That's a line from Hard Decisions. <laughs> Great. I'm becoming one of those actors who wants the movies I'm in. Uh, yes, yes, uh, yes, it is. It is. I remember Nadia says it. Hate is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is indifference. You, the two of you are like two tiny twins who cannot separate but cannot come together. <sighs> She's amazing. The, you know, I will be forever grateful to you for providing uh, an excuse, an opportunity for me to work with Nadia Ginsberg, who's just someone I've idolized for ever since I've had access to an internet connection. I've discovered her comedy and was just just wanted to be a person who hung out with her and I mean it's you know she's best friends with some of my best friends but to like work with her was a that's how I felt this blowjob to Nadia Ginsburg <laughs> provided by Eli Berry so I knew of Nadia because of my friend Austin Young mm-hmm. who is an artist and a photographer and a YouTube creator mm-hmm. who put her in a series of 
really amazing videos called The Worm. Yes, that is also where I discovered Donnie and Ginsburg. Yeah, but I know Austin through friends, and he was in my first feature film that I ever made. He plays a photographer. He plays sort of like a sleazy photographer who like who like makes out with the main character. Like, he's awesome. He's one. Of, that's one of my favorite parts of that movie. He's in the very first scene. If you ever want to watch Famous Joe Project, just watch the first ten minutes. You'll get to see Austin Young be amazing. That is um, uh, Eli's very, very good first feature film. Available on Vimeo. <laughs> Search my name or iTunes, whatever it is. I'll get like $2 if you watch it. Maybe less than $2. But I'll get some money, so please do. Please watch it. It's, it's, it's uh, better than I expected it to be. That's what everyone says. I think that, like me, everyone expects their friend stuff to be terrible. No, it's not that. It's that... Um, there is a um, a there is a reality TV or a, actually not even a reality TV. It is a YouTube quality to it, a deliberately like a self conscious YouTube quality to it, and that it's uh, like the Blair Witch Project crossed with my own private Idaho. That's that's actually that's a good explanation. Um, there's something about the quality of the film that um, you we automatically associate, I think subconsciously, with quality of content. Yeah. And um, which we should know better because some of the best television in the world is, you know, post-war British television, um, yeah, where the quality of the film was god awful. Uh, but. Um, it just, I mean, maybe that's part of the magic of the Famous Bird Project, is it, like, so outstrips, the quality of the content outstrips the quality of the, the its medium, that, um, uh, in a really pleasantly surprising way, but you, you go into it watching it, and you think, oh, this is going to be terrible, and it's not terrible at all. So give it five minutes, guys, is what I'm saying. Give it five minutes. The, um, the... So when I made the Famous Joe Project, I was very specifically trying to make something that I could make for very little money. And so the idea of having the actors film it for themselves, I mean, it's like a fake documentary, so he's filming mm -hmm. his own life. I was like, oh, then I don't have to hire a crew. Like, oh, I don't have to get lights or, you know, it'll be like making a documentary and that's so cheap. I was an idiot. It would cost like so much more than I expected or than I was prepared for. But, um... Yeah, and then I ended up with this really weird movie. I love that movie. That's I feel one. sad that more people didn't watch it. It's hard to get people to watch a whole movie. Like, yeah. a, like a feature film. Mm -hmm. Like essentially, if it doesn't have, you know, someone who plays one of your favorite characters on TV in it, it's hard to get someone to sit down and be like, well, maybe this hour and a half will be good. Right. People don't know. They don't want to watch something. Like, I don't want to watch something if I don't know it's going to be good. I'm the same way. I wouldn't watch my movie if I didn't, well, hadn't made my movie. I think it... Uh, a movie... I think there's, there's two things working against movies right now. One of them is most of them are so bad. Yeah, it's a real problem. And... Um, and independent movies are so bad. Like people, it's not just oh, yeah, like no, the like, big comic book movies like, that I think. No, are. no, no. They're, they're, they're <clears throat> like those are preferable. Actually, like I am, I am more likely to go see a blockbuster than what I, you know, what I think of as a blockbuster than what I think of as a film. Because uh, blockbusters aren't great movies, but they're great blockbusters. Like Hollywood makes a great 
things exploding and cars being chased and like trans- I don't know I have high standards for I exploding that. things you know if it's not Mad Max I don't want it oh yeah I still haven't seen Mad Max you but- haven't seen Mad Max Fury Road Dude, my life is that movie made me cry. <laughs> no, I mean really cry. It's one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. It may be on my top ten movies of all time. Wow. Okay. Oh god, I love that movie. But like the Avengers, and you have those like giant muscly dudes made out of computer graphics breaking down buildings. I just get bored. My love of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is oh entirely in its orchestration. That there is a meta plot being carried out over film and TV and Netflix, and and being well executed. It, not all of those films are great, but some of them are, are really good, and they're all really good summer blockbusters. You know, like except for Ant Man, but it was Ant Man had its terms. Um, uh, it is. I think I'm. I'm in. It is. It is a. It is. Uh, I'm impressed at the execution of this many moving parted thing. Um, I, that's got to be hard to pull off. That I think me. they do it a really good good job of it. I'm really impressed. impresses me. I'm I'm really impressed with what they do. But like I I didn't see the Avengers when it was in the theaters, and then it wasn't in the theaters, and I just didn't see it. And then finally, I was like, I've got to see the Avengers. Like everyone keeps, you know, it's supposed mm. to be really good. And I watched it, and it was really fun, and, like, I like all those actors a lot, and, like, it was well-written and all that stuff. And then at some point, it gets into the final action sequence, which is, like, 20 minutes long, and they're, like, breaking things, and, like, it's going on and on, and there's, like, all these different things going back and forth. And I sort of got, like, a little sad. Like, I was watching it, and I just got, it felt sort of like, like, really? This is what we're doing? And I started thinking, like, I work in the visual effects industry, so I know how many hours of, like, stress and, like, really intense work from, like, hundreds of people are required for this scene. And I'm just like, ugh. Like, it just, it starts to depress me. I didn't feel that way about Mad Max at all. I was like, you know, send them more hundreds of people. I want more of this. It's important to me, I think as a filmmaker that movies say something and it's not that I don't think that the Avengers has something to say I think the Avengers does have something to say I just think that maybe I don't like what it has to say what do you think it has to say? I don't I don't get behind this idea that there are superheroes who will save us I don't think there are superheroes who will save us and I don't think and I don't mean in like obviously they're not literally superheroes but like we have been saved like there are times when we were in peril and people worked hard and and made life better and it was not a hero and I think we often tell those stories historically as if there was a hero but it's always someone working as part of a group of people who are supporting them and then well, we have these fictions that there's a hero who, who did it for us all. And I feel like the, these comic book movies, they're supposed to be just fun and entertainment, but they really buy into that. I actually, I think, uh, perhaps they're not giving them enough credit. Because I think what these, specifically like the Marvel movies are about is, the, specifically the Avengers. I think the Avengers are America. And they are not just, uh, they, these movies are about our own discomfort with this role that we have appointed ourselves as uh, the world's superheroes. 
swooping in to save the day on our own um, uh, tenuous agenda. And like when you like, I mean, like that is that is Steve Rogers' character, his own discomfort with America, like being. I get it. I totally get it. But like, okay, so let's compare the Avengers with. Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Guardians of the Galaxy, everything about that movie, every scene, the whole storyline, it all points towards the same theme of we can't do it unless we're all together. Like, we need to come together. We may be a bunch of fuck-ups on our own, but mm-hmm. if we come together and work together, we can do it. We are and, than the yeah, sum of our problems. And we need each other. We need each other in order to do it. Mm-hmm. That is everything about Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. I do not get that from the Avengers. The Avengers seems like... We must value those elite few in our society who are able to make things good because if we do not value them, they will not be there for us when we need them. This is not a message I want to send to the rest of America. I think this is actually but a really dangerous message. I, um, the, uh, the difference between the Guardians of the Galaxy and the Avengers is the Guardians of the Galaxy are a bunch of misfits who are... I'm aware uh, that the characters are different. Hey, no, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm. Uh, the the Guardians of the Galaxy. You have accurately assessed, in my opinion, the Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy narrative. We this band. It's like it's almost like a queer narrative. Like we are a band of misfits, and we are made better by our coming together. Um, that is not at all the narrative of the Avengers. The Avengers is um, about elites being enabled to work together. And their inability to work together causes more problems. Um, I think that uh, um, it is a it is a a very subtle pointing finger of damnation from Joss Whedon at the um, at the state of our leaders. I have the utmost respect for Joss Whedon, and I believe that he is totally capable of of social commentary in the Avengers. I still. You just don't see it. I was. I, I, it's not that I don't see it. I felt like I did not agree. I was like, no, nope, this is bumming me out. Do not like this. Do not like it. I'm. I really. I really react badly to that whole narrative. There's a. There's a commercial from Microsoft right now, that's playing very heavily on Hulu when I try to watch the Mindy Project, and the commercial goes a little something like this. Uh, it's like all these shots of children, that appear to be from all over the world, uh-huh. children of all races and genders. And it says, you know, you know, this child is, you're looking at the leaders of tomorrow. Oh, I've seen that commercial. You just don't know which one it's going to be. Yeah, she may not look like the leader, but we're here to make sure that she has what she needs. But there's something about the commercial that implies that one of these children, or some small subset of these children, is the leaders of tomorrow. And we have to make sure that they're that they have what they need. The rest of the children, nah. We're only going to make sure that they have what they need because we can't actually choose which really? one's going to be the elite is that leader. What you're do? Is that what you take away from it? It's really, it's like, it's almost explicit I that see. they're trying to, that they're providing My, what they can to all of the children because one of those children might turn out to be well, Bill yeah, Gates, sure. yeah, and yeah. that's really important. The rest of those kids that don't turn out to Bill Gates, they're just going to sort of get it also because we can't figure out who's going to be Bill Gates in advance. But if we could, we would just we would just focus on that kid, and the rest of them could go f themselves. I, I hate that. But the last shot, Bill Gates can't do it without the other kids. 
He can't do it without the other kids. He can take all the credit he wants now, but he needed everyone who was part of his network who helped him to do it. He needs his whole company in order to be great. All of the people who work at Microsoft, he needs them all. And they need him much less than he thinks that they do. That's my opinion. Um, uh, I don't know. I think at this point, like, uh, the corporations that are really doing well are the ones that have, like, merged their brand with their CEO, like the Tim Cooks of the world. Like, Tim Cook, he is, he is... They put a human face on that corporation. Well, I mean, he's like, which they already had one in Steve Jobs. Like, yeah. Steve Jobs was the face of that. A new one. Um, and they, they, which I think is a, a tough, uh, uh, a tough needle to thread, you know? But you, the, you never want to step into the great man's shoes. But that's a company that's always done a really good job of making their products and their brand feel like a, a human that you have a relationship with. Right. That's something that you that you love. I would argue that Facebook has done the same thing, except for nobody likes Mark Zuckerberg. Nobody likes Facebook either. Well, exactly. But like they like he is synonymous with Facebook. They are synonymous in the same way that Tim Cook is now synonymous synonymous with Apple. Just nobody. He's he's that dick we all have to deal with if we want to get through our day. Yep. I I. Sorry, I don't know Mark Zuckerberg. You are probably a lovely person. If I you... just watched that episode of The Good Wife that's like basically about him. Um, so, I believe in leadership. And I believe that leaders are real and that we need great leaders and that great leaders change the world. But um, I don't, I just, I would like to, I would like to shift the narrative a little bit about what, the relationship between a leader and their community is. I think it's gotten a little bit distorted. I, uh... I don't disagree with you. Um, you know, it's, um... I think that, um... Um... Sorry, I'm looking, staring off into the middle distance, trying to gather my thoughts. Um, uh, leadership is something we don't focus on enough in the gay community I'm like I've been thinking about mentorship a lot recently and like uh, you know giving little faggots the benefit of our wisdom and experience um, but yeah you know uh, the average American CEO makes what 200% more 200 times what their average worker makes when once upon a time they used to be like 50% what their average worker makes or like that's uh, leadership is about making sacrifices for sacrificing your bottom line for the good of everybody like that's what leadership's about I think, you're right we don't we don't have a lot of leadership I think that Bernie leadership, Sanders 2016 <laughs> I think that leadership is about defining the values for the community but that's what that's what good leadership does is it defines the values for the community and defines that sort of monkey status. Oh, that looks great on you. Thank you. <laughs> um, that sort of like, you know, orangutan level status of who's who's got who's got hierarchy in the tribe. That that's that's what leaders define. And if leaders say, you know what, we think that the people should who should have status are the people who look and act like us and who are willing to sacrifice to make sure that we keep our status quo in place then you end up with a pretty sick society. And if you have leaders who have real values, then things turn out a little better.
Well, you know, um, that is honestly part of what, um, part of why I'm doing the Novus Homo, because um, I think, uh, I think we celebrate the wrong things in general. I think the gay community has come to celebrate the wrong things. And I want to, you know, one of the great things about being gay is that we have our own celebrities. Um, and I want to highlight the, uh, the contributions and the, the points of views of people who um, I think deserve to be leaders and celebrities, people that little homos should be looking up to and there that's my blowjob to Eli Rary for the for the day you want to share your favorite gay liberties with the rest of the world I want to share my favorite gay liberties or the people I think should be gay liberties with the rest of the world yes that is exactly what I'm doing I think that is a noble cause thank you I'm serious about it thank you I'm serious about you being alone thank you okay that's enough blowjobs that's it we're shutting this down it's become a travesty it's sad it's sad really call this journalism there you go I uh, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Eli it was probably the most fun I've had so far doing these of all the ones to air to date um, I feel like I keep getting better if you guys keep liking them I'm gonna keep doing it tune in next week where I will be sitting down with one of my co-stars from Hard Decisions, who also happens to be one of my best friends in the world, Danimal Opdal, AKA Sarah Problem. And we're gonna talk about drag and drag culture. I hope you like it. All right, um, this is Brendan Shukart, until next time.